Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor Podcast. I'm Andrew Dick, an attorney with Hall Render, the largest healthcare focused law firm in the country. Today we will be speaking with Alfonso Leon, the Chief Investment Officer of Global Medical REIT, a publicly traded equity REIT that trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol GMRE. Alfonso has been a real estate and investment banking professional for a number of years. Prior to joining Global Medical REIT, he worked for an investment banking firm helping hospitals and healthcare providers on strategic real estate transactions. Alfonso, along with his colleagues, have grown Global Medical REIT to a respectable healthcare REIT, and today we are going to talk about his career and his current role at Global Medical REIT. We're also going to talk about the Global Medical REIT portfolio and healthcare real estate industry uh, in general. Alfonso, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. Alfonso, before we talk about your role at Global Medical REIT, let's talk about your background. Give us a little bit of information about where you're from, where you went to college, and uh, what you aspired to be. Sure. Great. So um, I was um, uh, born in South America. I, I came um, to the U.S. for college, went to the University of Virginia, studied to be an architect initially. Um, right after I graduated from uh, UVA, I lived in Martha's Vineyard for a year. Uh, while I was on the island, uh, I enrolled in the uh, Center for Real Estate uh, program at MIT uh, and, and uh, um, went to that program for a year. Uh, coming out of that program, um, I um, started a job with LaSalle Investment Management uh, out of their Baltimore office. And um, that was a, a great um, opportunity for someone that's, in essence, starting their career I had a chance to work with a lot of acquisition officers across all asset types, office, industrial, retail, uh, medical office, uh, and hotels. Um, I actually sat next to uh, the acquisition portfolio manager for LaSalle uh, that was starting a medical office fund. So I, I did a good amount of work with the, um, the director of that MOB fund over the years. Uh, so I did that for about five years. Um, uh, in 2005, uh, I decided to um, uh, look for other opportunities. I joined a boutique healthcare investment banking firm called Kane Brothers uh, out of San Francisco. Um, and it was a pretty um, uh, unique opportunity. Uh, at the time, this is 2005, medical office was still considered uh, a very niche investment class. Uh, and there weren't really that many people that were in the space. Uh, I joined a group within Kane Brothers that was dedicated um, to uh, uh, um, MOB monetizations on behalf of health systems. That was the, the core business model. So over the years, Kane had built many relationships with small health systems across the country, uh, health systems with two, three, four uh, hospitals within their network, which were uh, too small for the big Wall Street banks. Um, the founders of Kane, two brothers, actually formed the company in the, in the mid-80s uh, with a goal of servicing these smaller health systems. So when I joined in 2005, um, Kane Brothers had completed uh, about a handful of monetizations in the past couple of years. And it was, they were in many ways pioneers in, in the space. Um, the first uh, monetizations happened in 2001, 2002, when Ascension started um, uh, engaged Ernst & Young to um, evaluate their real estate holdings. Uh, and they were looking for ways to raise cash 
to uh, help their credit ratings. So that, in essence, started the industry that that uh, I've been in since, in essence, 2000, uh, when I joined LaSalle. Um, and Kane Brothers was one of the pioneers. So I, when I joined them, uh, it was a group of about uh, six bankers. Uh, never really grew uh, beyond that number. Uh, but over that over nine years, from 2005 and 2014, I worked on um, over you know $2 billion worth of transactions in the healthcare space. So I spent a lot of time uh, over those years um, uh, working with health systems, working with um, uh, physician groups, uh, and also interacting with a lot of the buyers in the space. So all the public REITs, the private REITs, and uh, 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 the uh, private equity companies that um, have joined over the years. Uh, so it gave me a very unique perspective. In a sense, I had a chance to uh, observe and learn from uh, other investors in the space over nine years. I also had a chance to uh, interact with health systems at the board level where they were actually making decisions on healthcare. Uh, also had a chance to uh, work directly with physicians. Uh, and then most importantly, uh, Kane Brothers, uh, since they had a focus on healthcare, uh, for nine years, I had a, the opportunity to, to hear from uh, other colleagues who were in the uh, home health business, senior housing business, who were in the uh, managed care business, um, and uh, the, the medical device companies, IT, I mean, a pretty wide spectrum. Um, and Kane Brothers also had a pretty active uh, tax-exempt uh, bond business. Um, the, the, uh, the, the guy who uh, ran the real estate group uh, within Kane Brothers, he... Um, uh, he also ran Kane uh, Brothers, uh, their uh, M&A uh, practice for hospitals. So I also had uh, some exposure to, um, to that process when, when a hospital is acquired by another hospital uh, and had a chance to observe um, kind of their thinking and, and what goes into that process. So very uh, unique perspective um, that, I, that I had prior to joining a, a Global Medical Read. So Alfonso, it sounds like when we have, when we spoke before, you, you were um, happy working at Kane Brothers. You had a very good experience. You like the variety of work and um, generally weren't looking for new opportunities. So how did you end up making the move or what prompted you to make the move to Global Medical Re? Sure. So, uh, and, and you're correct. I mean, I, I had no plans on uh, either um, – uh, you know, looking for uh, opportunities outside Kane Brothers or leaving San Francisco, which uh, uh, you know it's not a not a bad place to live. Um, and so, really, it was uh, coincidental. Uh, I, I got put in touch with somebody that was, um, uh, you know, a, a person who was uh, uh, the former CEO of Global Medical Read. He had just been um, uh, he was starting the company. Uh, looking for the first acquisition, uh, and I had I struck up, struck up a conversation with him, and uh, realized that there was an opportunity to uh, join what in essence was a startup REIT. And you know, while at Kane uh, over nine years, I saw a lot of uh, funds start uh, you know start with zero assets, and within a two three year span, uh, grow their portfolios significantly. And you know, at one point, I, I I sat and counted all the funds that I had uh, seen grow to billions over the years, and I I counted over like thirteen funds. Um, like I'm not sure how often you have that phenomena in other sectors, um, but you know, it did catch my eye. I saw a lot of groups uh, grow 
big funds. And so when I uh, when I met um, Dave, the, the former CEO, it, it was intriguing. Uh, and it involved um, moving to Bethesda, Maryland, uh, which I also thought was coincidental because I, um, I had uh, lived in Bethesda, Maryland uh, during high school for a couple of years. Uh, and I knew the area very well. Um, and, you know, things uh, moved pretty quickly uh, after that first meeting. Uh, and I found myself uh, moving to Bethesda, Maryland to, to join Global Medical REIT in August of 2014. And Alfonso, were, did you join as the, the CIO or what was your initial um, role within the company? Sure. So um, the, the, the startup of the company is, um, very, was very unusual. So Global Medical REIT was actually one company of many that were uh, w- that were run out of the uh, Bethesda office. So um, the company that I joined was actually uh, called Inter-American Management, which in, in short and in essence was um, the uh, Bethesda, Maryland office for a, a family office run out of Singapore. And one of the things that this family office out of Singapore wanted to do was build a, uh, uh, be, become a REIT incubator. And Global Medical REIT was actually the second REIT that they had started. The first one was a single-family home REIT. Um, so I was joining their second REIT. Um, so when I joined, it, there was a, a, about um, a, a dozen people working out of the office. But really, the only two people that were working on Global Medical REIT uh, was uh, Dave and myself, uh, which was interesting. And so that was uh, from August of 14 to, I'd say... Um, uh, the end of uh, December 15, uh, it was just the two of us. Uh, I ended up uh, right around, uh, at some point in, in uh, 2015, I hired, uh, in essence, our first um, uh, support person uh, dedicated to Global Medical REIT. And, and uh, he, this person helped me tremendously, in, uh, and he's still with us, uh, trem- helped me tremendously in, in, at, at that beginning phase. So with Dave, uh, we bought our first two assets, and, uh, and that was in June of 14, just prior to my joining. And September of 14, that was the first one I acquired. We spent a lot of time uh, r- trying to raise capital within the U.S. Uh, we did a capital raise in Singapore as well. Um, and uh, by July of 15, uh, w- um, we got capital from uh, through the, the Singapore family office. Uh, gave us uh, this group gave us thirty million to to put together a portfolio that we could take um, that you know put together a one hundred million dollar portfolio that we could use to uh, to have an IPO to start the company. So um, with the money we got in uh, July of two thousand fifteen, uh, we quickly put it to work, and by March of sixteen. Um, we, we built a $100 million portfolio, and that uh, between March of 16 and, and June of 16, uh, we um, ran pretty hard uh, we, we, uh, t- towards an IPO. We put together a team. We got the, the, the legal team as well. Uh, we did our roadshow in June, um, and we completed it um, in the month of June. So it, things moved pretty quickly after we, we got that first uh, $30 million slug. Um, and we're able to put together a portfolio quickly as well. So Alfonso, do you, do you remember what the first few assets you acquired were? What, what, what type of healthcare assets they were? Uh, sure. So the first one, uh, we acquired was a, um, LTAC, you know, in, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, 21.7 million. The uh, second asset we bought was a surgery center 
in Asheville, North Carolina. That was two point four million. The uh, the third asset we bought was a um, ophthalmology uh, a clinic with a surgery center in uh, Pittsburgh. That was um, about eleven million. The uh, fourth asset we bought was actually a portfolio of six um, MOBs in um, Germantown, Tennessee. Uh, and it was a sale leaseback with a uh, gastro gastro group, uh, the, the largest one in the area. Um, that was $20 million. In uh, February of 2016, we completed the acquisition of a surgical hospital in Dallas. That was um, $18 million. And then uh, in March, and concurrent with uh, getting financing, CMBS financing, on the entire portfolio, which uh, was in a sense kind of a triple backflip because we were um, uh, rolling in the uh, uh, the portfolio we bought in December from the gastro group and the uh, surgical hospital uh, in Dallas, plus closing on a surgery center in Detroit, $4.5 million, and uh, closing on a medical office building in Melbourne, Florida uh, for $14.5 million. So that was that was a, a very tricky thing to do uh, and one that I swore I'd never try to do again. <laughs> I bet it was exciting, though. Uh, I mean, starting as you described it, a REIT startup, that had to be a lot of fun. It, it was, it was, it was fun, fun in a sense that it, it, it felt like, uh, you know, you were going down a roller coaster, uh, with no brakes. <laughs> well, tell us about the portfolio today. When you and I spoke before, you've got, um, a wide range of healthcare assets. Um, in my mind, global medical REIT is, is, a, a diversified healthcare REIT. You're not a pure play. You're not focused just on MOBs or hospitals. Um, do I have that right? Um, and, and talk about kind of the breakdown of the portfolio. Sure. So, you know, uh, what we've, um, from the very beginning, our goal was to build a portfolio of purpose-built healthcare facilities, leased to strong healthcare systems, and physician groups with leading market share in secondary and tertiary markets um, with a goal of uh, uh, producing um reliable um, uh, rental uh, uh, rental revenue with uh, uh, rent bumps and a diversified footprint uh, and with the goal of having this portfolio be triple net or absolute triple net. Um, so just recently we announced we reached a billion dollars in assets uh, with about um, 80 million of annual base rent or triple net rent or NY if you want to call it that. So over um, 115 buildings with over 100 tenants with an average uh, rental increase of 2%, over 3 million uh, square feet of uh, space, um, and with an occupancy of 99.7%, and uh, and a current NOI divided by purchase price uh, a cap rate of 8%, uh, and with a weighted average lease term across the portfolio of about 8.4 years. Uh, so that's, that's our portfolio currently. Um, you know, if, if you, um, in terms of the asset types we buy, I mean, primarily it's um, medical office buildings. Uh, you know, the bulk of it is medical office buildings, uh, but we also buy inpatient buildings. Um, uh, and so we've got a, you know, the, the balance of the portfolio is, is a mix of inpatient with uh, other asset types. Got it. So uh, talk about your role, you're now the chief investment officer. W- what does that entail? What are you doing on a day-to-day basis? And and then take us into what is the ideal um, opportunity you look for when, when analyzing assets that uh, come across your desk? Sure. So um, 
you know, one of the things that I enjoy the most about my current role is that no day is the same. I mean, every day has been very, very different. And even when I think about, um, you know, the, what, what, what I've worked on on a quarter by quarter basis, it's, it's evolved quite a bit. Uh, largely in part of the, uh, largely in due to the fact that the company has been growing as much as it has and you know at different sizes there were different challenges and different things that I had to focus my my uh, my energies to to address or or, or to manage um, I mean we went from uh, two people um, uh, working for global medical REIT to um, uh, you know today we, we've got uh, 20 people uh, so it's it's been quite a quite a ride. I mean, in quite a process. Uh, and at every quarter, there was a different set of challenges that we had to overcome. In the early uh, years, uh, it was capital raising, and I spent um, a mind-numbing amount of hours uh, working on uh, powerpoints and uh, going making pitches uh, to a wide range of investors. Um, and then there was the phase that I remember where we were trying to close on that hundred million dollar portfolio. Um, and then uh, we finishing that, we moved into uh, conducting the IPO. And then once we got that done, uh, we and we raised 150 million dollars. Uh, we switched into uh, you know ramping up our acquisition uh, strategy, uh, and so that was the second half of uh, 2016. Uh, and then in 2017, it was um, uh, a lot of things happened. Uh, one of which was uh, we we ha- we started uh, our credit facility with 75 million uh, capacity uh, with an accordion uh, feature as well. Um, continued executing our on our acquisition strategy. 2017 was also a year where uh, we had a, a turnover uh, of uh, our uh, CEO. Uh, that's when Jeff, our current CEO, uh, uh, stepped into the role. Uh, we also changed our CFO uh, and we also changed our general counsel. Uh, so it was quite a bit uh, for for a new REIT, new company. In 2017, uh, it was a bit of a blur. I mean, there was a lot happening that year, um, but we ended uh, on a on a high note. Um, we raised money in June of 17, about 35 million, and in December we uh, raised additional funds, um, 75 million of preferred equity. Uh, just in time for 2018, which was when rates started uh, increasing, the Fed uh, started uh, jacking up rates, which really changed the uh, REIT landscape for for the year. Uh, Fortunately, we came into the year with uh, a lot of capital. Um, And in 2018, we supplemented that capital uh, with uh, uh, acquiring buildings with uh, operating partnership units. So we did about $36 million uh, of uh, of deals uh, in that fashion. And 2018 was really sort of, for us, it was a year of us showing to, to our investors um, and uh, that, you know, our business model uh, is working uh, and that we've, um, you know, we, we can continue growing this company. Uh, 2019 uh, was a great uh, year all around. We hit a lot of milestones, uh, the biggest of, it, of which was in uh, uh, right around Thanksgiving, we got added to the Morgan Stanley Index which really uh, increased our volume uh, and our share prices started uh, going uh, from an average of 9, 10, up to 11, 12, and 13. So that was a, a very, very big milestone. In 2019, we did a lot of acquisitions, very, very busy year. Um, in, in many ways, we were kind of hitting our stride and came into 2020 uh, with a lot of wind in our sails, with a very big pipeline. Um, and when we did our earnings call our, 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 uh, uh, in February, um, 
uh, sorry, our, our uh, year-end uh, qu- quarterly uh, call with investors at the beginning of March. Sorry, um, w- you know, after our call, uh, our stock actually uh, went up to almost 16. Uh, so it was, um, uh, you know, it was in large part due to the fact that 2019 we really uh, hit our stride, hit a lot of milestones, had a very good pipeline, very good deals. A lot of things came together for us in 2019. So it's it's um. Uh, when I think um, quarter by quarter, I mean, it, what I've uh, had to focus on has changed dramatically. Uh, so, you know, to reiterate, like no, no week is the same. Uh, every day is pretty different. Uh, in terms of my responsibility, what, what I think my uh, primary uh, role within the company is to make sure that I generate as many opportunities to invest capital as I can. Uh, in many ways, I, I want to have uh, more opportunities to invest than capital at all times. And so, I, I, I um, um, you know, my team of uh, of, uh, of three acquisition uh, people, you know, we we spend a lot of time trying to get ahead of our capital raising efforts, so that um, you know we can um, not just be more selective, but you know we can uh, whenever there's an opportunity to. Uh, raise capital, uh, we're never uh, short on uh, pipeline, uh, given the fact that, you know, capital raises, uh, you know, to have a successful capital raise, you have to have a pipeline. Um, so what I view my principal role within this company is to make sure that we're generating the maximum amount of opportunities for the company to grow. And Alfonso, so when you're looking at opportunities, what is what is your sweet spot? What what is the you know return you're looking for? Asset types. Um, give us just a quick overview of sure of your approach. So our strategy really hasn't changed since IPO. You know we focus on buying uh, high high quality real estate in desirable secondary tertiary markets, leads to profitable profitable healthcare providers that are leaders in their respective fields. We focus primarily on acquiring acquiring medical office and outpatient treatment facilities in the five to fifteen million range, and opportunistically acquire inpatient facilities, typically in the twenty to forty million range. Um, when I, you know, to go back to our uh, composition of our portfolio, I have a breakdown here for you. So, fifty seven percent of our portfolio is MOB, of which twenty percent of that is has surgery centers. Um, 24% of our portfolio is inpatient rehab hospitals. 8.5% of our portfolio is surgical hospitals. Uh, we have 3% of our portfolio is LTAC. 3% of our portfolio is acute care hospital. Uh, 3% of our portfolio is uh, administrative space. And 1.2% of our portfolio is freestanding ERs. Uh, geographically across the country, um, we have 20% of our portfolio in Texas, 10% of our portfolio in Ohio. in Pennsylvania, 8% in Arizona, 7% in Oklahoma, 7% in Florida, and then uh, the numbers uh, spread out across many other states after that. Uh, Very interesting. Um, And sounds like a pretty diverse portfolio. Um, Let's switch gears. Um, When we spoke before, you talked about the fact that Global Medical REIT was at one point um, managed externally. And, and recently, um, you and your executive team made the decision to um, internalize the management function. Um, give us just a brief overview of, of how that process worked and what the, 
um, the, the strategy that's involved there? Sure. So when I joined the company, it was, um, uh, you know, I joined inter-American management. So most of the REITs uh, in the REIT universe are internally managed REITs. Um, there are a few, um, and I don't know if it's less than five or right around 5% or, or more uh, of the REITs in, in the REIT universe that are externally managed. And really what that means is um, the employees who run the company are not uh, employed by the REIT, but by the manager. Um, and so the agreement we had with the manager was the manager provided all the um, uh, uh, human resources in exchange for a 1.5% fee. Um, historically, uh, you know, there's um, institutional investors uh, do not like uh, externally managed REITs uh, very much. Um, you know, at the heart of that is concerns around governance. Um, there's also been uh, some bad actors in the REIT space um, that have um, not always uh, had the, the best interest of shareholders uh, in mind uh, when they were running their business. Um, so we, um, at the very beginning, uh, we set it up to be externally managed really um, uh, because it, um, in outside of the U.S. And, and in Singapore and Japan, for example, the REITs over there are externally managed. And so it was set up from the very beginning to be externally managed um, for that reason, given the, the, the source of funds, the initial source of funds. Uh, when we were doing our IPO process, uh, it, it became pretty clear to us that um, having the external manager model uh, was going to make it uh, harder for us to access institutional investors. So what we did at the beginning uh, was uh, uh, set a milestone uh, when the uh, board of independence would uh, start the in internalization process. And so we looked at a lot of case studies uh, that our bankers and our lawyers provided, and we settled on a um, $500 million market cap threshold, upon which when we get to that point, we would uh, uh, the independent board would start the process of internalizing the manager. So uh, in December of 2019, we raised uh, you know, about 80, $85 million of equity, um, at $13 a share that got us over the $500 million market, uh, market cap uh, threshold. Um, so by the end of the year, um, the board started, um, uh, uh, engaging their consultants, uh, the manager, uh, engaged their consultants and attorneys, uh, and the process, uh, kicked off in earnest in Q1 of, of this year. So, um, Pretty much for the first half of the year, um, the, the the board, uh, a committee of uh, the board that um, of GMRE negotiated with uh, the manager, Inter-American Management, uh, and I mean, really, what they were negotiating is the uh, breakup fee. Uh, ours at the very beginning was set very formulaically; it was just three times the uh, twelve-month uh, average uh, fee. Uh, that number was computed to be about 18.2 uh, million. Uh, we had a press release on that uh, at the beginning of July uh, when the process was uh, concluded. Um, you know, and these, uh, it's a very, uh, the best way to think of it is, you know, this is in essence an M&A transaction. Uh, and if you read through the filings, uh, Global Medical Read in essence acquired Inter-American Management and uh, Inter-American Management became a subsidiary of Global Medical Read, and all, all the employees, including myself, uh, moved, uh, are now employees of Global Medical Read. Um, so, you know, at high level, it, 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 it's, um, 
it seems like a straightforward process, but um, nonetheless, it is an M&A transaction and there is uh, a lot of back and forth um, that, that happens in normal course of business. Um, and in, in our circumstance, uh, the fact that you know, we had COVID and uh, a lot of market volatility also uh, uh, extended the process longer than it probably should have run by maybe a month or two. Um, but ultimately, we got it done and uh, announced it at the beginning of this month. Very exciting. I know that that's um, a big milestone. Uh, talk about uh, the leadership's team, uh, the, the vision that you and your, your colleagues have over the next three to five years for um, the organization. Are there any financial milestones or um, what, what are you looking to accomplish over that period of time? Sure. So simplistically, I mean, we plan to continue growing and uh, building a diversified portfolio. You know, every company needs to play to their strength. Uh, we've built a, a real estate investment platform to find execute deals in our niche. So our plan is to continue leveraging our experience and knowledge of healthcare real estate to identify deals with good risk adjusted returns at cap rates that allow us to invest our capital accretively. You know, every stage of growth comes with unique challenges. Um, I consider our internalization that we announced at the beginning of this month as as a uh, bookend to our startup phase. So the way I see it, you know, we are now a six hundred million dollar market cap company in a growth phase uh, in a market sector with very good fundamentals. So in short, I mean, our our strategy is to continue uh, executing um, our, our business plan that we've had since IPO and continue growing this uh, and and continue uh, matching. Um, capital raised with uh, opportunities uh, within healthcare real estate. So Alfonso, as you're executing on this strategy, um, how has COVID impacted um, your operations, your facilities, and some of the tenants you're working with routinely? Um, Give us a snapshot of um, how the last four or five months have, have went for for global medical REIT in terms of rent collections and, um, you know, what, what are you seeing and hearing as you, you're working with, with tenants? Sure. So, um, you know, uh, the, the last several months has been, um, uh, you know, one that, you know, we've all lived through and it's been very intense. Um, and, you know, when I, when I think of the last uh, several months, um, and I compare it with uh, the financial crisis of 2008 in the sense that, you know, you had um, a housing, like in 2008, if you think about it, you had a housing bubble uh, combined with a, uh, a credit crisis. Uh, and both are subject matters that uh, are very relevant to, to what I do. Uh, this time around, you had uh, a healthcare crisis and a, mar- a capital market crisis um, and, uh, you know, the, the impact on real estate has also across many sectors has also been very dramatic. Uh, so in many ways, uh, you know, the last several months I've been, um, you know, reading obsessively and trying to learn as much as I can about, uh, the impact COVID is having across many aspects of, uh, what, what I do, uh, you know, for, for, uh, for my job and what I do for my career. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, um, Definitely, I have to believe kind of a once in a lifetime kind of event. Uh, it's been very dramatic. Uh, having said that, um, you know, we've reported our numbers uh, in terms of uh, uh, collections 
and in terms of occupancy, uh, and uh, you know, in the next week, we're also going to report our Q2 uh, earnings. Um, and if you compare uh, what we've reported thus far with uh, our peers, I mean, we've our portfolio has performed in line with other medical office portfolios. Uh, the month of April was very intense. There was a lot of uncertainty uh, about how this was going to evolve, and uh, I mean. You know, if you didn't read the news for half a day, you were behind the, the curve in terms of uh, staying current with the news. Um, and uh, there was just a lot of uh, a lot of new things that we all had to get accustomed to uh, quickly. Uh, in discussions with our tenants, um, and you know, we spent a lot of time uh, talking to them. I spent a lot of time talking with uh, other companies in our space, uh, a lot of people that I know in the space. Um, you know, I, I, I walked away with a few kind of, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, big picture things. I mean, for, for starters, uh, the one thing um, that I think is clear to everybody is that healthcare is essential. It, it is an industry that is um, that needs to, you know, needs to be defended. It's an industry that is critically important to the country um, and, and not just the country, but to the economy. I mean, without a, with a, without a robust functioning healthcare system, you compromise many other aspects of, 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 uh, of the economy and the country. Uh, the other thing um, that I, I, I took away from uh, the last several months, um, healthcare operators are very resourceful. Uh, they are, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at a group of, of people that are very, um, very smart, uh, very hardworking, um, that, um, you know, are very uh, mission-driven um, uh, that that you know are not afraid of to work around the clock have access to a lot of uh, special specialists and consultants that can help them um, and also as a group um, uh, you know they are very um, very good at managing um, uh, bureaucracy and paperwork uh, when you think of healthcare reimbursements and you know if you think about you know in your own personal life uh, having to deal with insurance companies, you know, it's it's uh, tedious. But you know, the healthcare operators are incredibly good at running uh, and managing all that uh, all that uh, uh, bureaucracy. Um, so uh, I would say, you know, uh, in terms of characterizing kind of what I've seen, I mean, it's just a, a resilient group of uh, pro- professionals in the healthcare space um, that have uh, adapted quickly. Um, you know, they got a lot of support and help from uh, the federal level and uh, from CMS and from various other sources. Um, and uh, so, you know, as we where we are today in terms of uh, where we were even uh, a month ago, I mean, it's it seems like um, uh, healthcare providers have found ways to uh, to make it work. Uh, I mean, by no means are we out of the woods on this one. I mean, I think everyone's uh, uh, acknowledged and are braced for the fact that this is going to be a long, long process, uh, you know, measured. Uh, you know, I think folks are thinking, you know, we're going to be living with this um, well into the end of the year and, and uh, you know, very likely through most of 2021. Um, but, you know, it, it's been um, it's been remarkable to see how, uh, you know, just just how hard the healthcare professionals uh, have been working, uh, not just in taking care of people, but also in, in running their business. So my hat, hat goes off to them. I mean, they've, it's, it's been remarkable to watch. Agreed. Uh, I think the industry has fared pretty well given all of the challenges and uh, in most parts of the country, your um, elective procedures are, are um, 
are continuing and um, some of the providers that had to shut down are, are open back up, which is good to hear. Um, in terms of um, opportunities, where do you see opportunities for healthcare REITs or for global medical REIT in particular um, as we work through the crisis? Sure. So uh, within healthcare real estate specifically, um, you know, among the many things that I've been thinking of uh, lately, I mean, it's pretty well known that there's been a shift from inpatient to outpatient. I mean, that hasn't changed. If anything, I mean, probably, you know, you're looking at a scenario where things have accelerated a, a little bit. Um, telemedicine, also something that, uh, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about for a very, very long time. And, uh, you know, we had a, a, an amazing opportunity to, to see that uh, implemented in, in an aggressive way. Um, and uh, on the other side of that, I mean, it's it not totally clear how much of an impact that's going to have on, on the space. I mean, I, I, um, I, I had uh, folks in the telemedicine space uh, say it this way, you know, it's, it's not a replacement to, to um, uh, healthcare real estate, but a complement. And, you know, as I, as I've, as I pull together everything I've heard on that front, I mean, it, it definitely seems that that, that, that rings true. I think, uh, you know, actually it's, it's made, uh, some things more efficient, um, you know, in terms of, um, uh, um, how healthcare gets delivered, uh, or how it evolves over the coming years. I mean, I think there is a lot to be said for convenience. Uh, and when you think of, um, uh, you know, large medical office buildings with, you know, multiple stories, uh, you know, five, 10 story buildings with elevators versus a single story facility that is a lot more convenient and more, more single use focus. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to both. Um, you know, most of what we have is, uh, the, the latter it's, uh, you know, single story or two story facilities that are more, uh, you know, um, you know the the focus of care uh, within those facilities is is more uh, uh, it's more single purpose than multi purpose uh, like you would find on a, on an on campus building. You know I think uh, there's there's going to be continue uh, continue to be uh, opportunities in a space uh, as it has in the past. My experience uh, in healthcare for the past twenty years is things don't change radically year to year. I mean, it's more of an, a gradual evolution. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember any time in the past where um, I, I've, th- I've seen things uh, evolve um, rapidly. I mean, it's, it's more of a gradual change. Um, when I think of healthcare systems and, and how they think about uh, delivery of care and how they think about their real estate, you know, they also, um, you know, it, it's more of a gradual move uh, and it's more incremental instead of sort of a radical change. Um, but you know, as, uh, all that to say that, you know, I don't, I don't see, um, the healthcare real estate, uh, landscape changing dramatically over the next few years. Um, but, and I think a lot of the trends that have been in place for the past couple of decades are just going to continue, maybe accelerate slightly. Um, but, um, you know, what it means for, for investors, I mean, I think there's still plenty of opportunities in the space, um, one one thing that's really worked in favor of uh, of investors in healthcare is the amount of supply that's that's coming to market, and I compare that with with where it was ten years ago or twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, it was it was, it was uh, you know the volumes were fractions of what what they are today. And when I've thought about you know the question of why why the supply has gone up so much, um, you know I, no no perfect answer. I think it has to do with the fact that. Um, uh, the fact that 
investors have come in and provided liquidity and and uh, you've seen cap rates go down and made it more attractive to sell and it's been sort of a, a circular uh dynamic that's that's evolved over the years um and every year you know it, it, i do get the sense that there's um more inventory higher quality inventory um and more investors and so it kind of feeds itself um, but you know, the, when I think of the volume today versus even five years ago, I mean, it, it's, it's very robust. Uh, one of the things that's been surprising, uh, over the past four months, you know, is April, May was slower than average, but by June and July, uh, the market pretty much snapped back to pre COVID levels. I mean, it's, it's been very active. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of deal flow. Uh, the quality of the deals coming to market are pretty good. Um, and, you know, as I think of, uh, the next, you know, a few years and, uh, into the future, I mean, I don't, I don't see, uh, that dynamic changing dramatically. That's good to hear. Uh, especially for those of us that work in the industry. Um, Alfonso talk about advice that you would give to someone who's getting into the healthcare real estate industry. Uh, I, I ask most of our guests, um, what would you tell someone who's who's just getting into the business? What should they read or who should they talk to or, or what advice would you give them? Sure. So um, one of the things that attracted me to the industry is is the fact that it's, um, uh, you know, you've got real estate, which I liked. Uh, and then, you know, you've got this overlay of healthcare industry on top of that that makes it a lot more uh, complicated than other asset classes. Prior to um, uh, uh, me joining the space uh, and dedicating myself to healthcare uh, in 2005, uh, I had done a lot of apartment uh, investments with LaSalle. And when I compare you know, just those two on its own, like apartments versus uh, healthcare, it doesn't take that long to, uh, to, to get your, uh, your head wrapped around uh, multifamily investments. Um, whereas with healthcare, I felt like even after two years of, uh, of dedicating myself to the space and trying as hard as I could, reading everything I could about the space, I still felt like I was a beginner. Uh, it, it takes a long time to really get a sense for you know, the industry and the dynamics and, and uh, the investors and the systems. I mean, it's just a very, very large knowledge base which, um, you know, is attractive to me. Um, so I would start by saying that this is an industry with a very high uh, knowledge uh, barrier to entry, uh, which is taxing at the beginning. And uh, a lot of folks that I see started in the space, um, they are, um, you know, it works against them uh, as they're trying to figure out the, the industry and trying to figure out who's who and, and why things are good or why things are bad. But, you know, once you've... Um, once you get on the other side of it, once you've got enough knowledge that you you uh, you sound credible and sound like you know what you're talking about, um, it, it it helps because you know there is a barrier to entry. I would also say that um, the sector is not very large. Uh, when you look at the uh, BOMA MOB conference um, and you've got a thousand attendees, I mean that's uh, you you've got um, you know the lion's share of people that are in the space uh, and have committed their careers to the space. And within that group, I mean, uh, on the investment side, I mean, uh, I, the way I think of it, there's about 100 people uh, on the investment side. So it's not a very large industry. And um, when I compare the, the, the MOB, you know, healthcare real estate investment crowd with like the apartment investment crowd or like the senior housing investment crowd that, I, that I've also uh, had a chance to experience, 
uh, I mean, the one thing, the way I would characterize it is, you know, it's it, uh, on average, you know, you're, you're, you've got a very institutional uh, um, uh, mindset. Uh, you know, you've got a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the people in the space are very smart. Um, they're, they've got, um, you know, they're, they're uh, very good people, uh, very friendly. Um, so I would say, you know, this is an industry that's, uh, I would characterize as, one with a lot of very smart people, hardworking people, very ethical people, uh, and good people to work with. Um, so one that uh, I enjoy very much. Um, and uh, I, I guess last thing I would say uh, for anyone that wants to uh, join the space is, um, you know, I would I would focus, uh, especially at the very 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 early start of the of of of, uh, of your career in the space, is try to find a good mentor. Uh, you know, in, in my career, uh, I feel very fortunate that I've had very good mentors. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I can't uh, stress that enough. I think it makes a world of a difference. And I would say, you know, I, w- I would pick uh, a better mentor um, uh, in, in spite of, uh, uh, you know, the type of job you might have, because um, I think long term, uh, you get more dividends. Good advice. Alfonso, I have a enjoyed our conversation and uh, getting to know you. Where can our audience learn more about you and Global Medical Read? Uh, I would encourage uh, folks to uh, uh, check out our website. We've got uh, pretty good investor decks uh, that are also posted on that website. Um, You know, I think, uh, uh, you know, I would just uh, highlight the fact that we're a new REIT. Uh, We did our IPO in June of 16. Uh, We've we've grown pretty fast, um, but, you know, we, uh, we, we love what we do. Um, uh, our, um, our group in, in Bethesda, you know, is very, uh, united. Uh, we've got a very strong, uh, spirit to corpse and, uh, you know, very much, um, uh, a lot of the folks that are with us have been with us since the beginning. So it's, it's been an exciting, uh, journey, uh, one that, um, you know, has been very rewarding for me, uh, uh, career wise. And, uh, you know, one that, uh, I hope to uh, continue watching grow over the years. Terrific. Thanks to our audience for listening to the podcast on your Apple or Android device. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave feedback for us. We also publish a newsletter called the Healthcare Real Estate Advisor. To be added to the list, please email me at adick at hallrender.com.